Good morning. A very, very warm welcome to you all on this lovely day. Uh, if you're here in the building or if you're here online, it's great to have you with us. Can we just uh, take a moment uh, to steady our hearts, uh, just to be mindful that uh, uh, we come uh, into uh, the presence of God uh, and really we offer this time to him as our worship. But let's just take a moment to uh, still our hearts and put aside the distractions of the morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time. Thank you for gathering us together uh, as your dearly loved children. Uh, Father, we do thank you that uh, we can gather uh, because uh, your son was uh, nailed to a cross. Uh, His blood was shed and his body was broken for us. I thank you that uh, through his work, uh, we have been drawn into eternal fellowship with you. So as we journey through the service this morning, we pray that by your spirit, uh, you would meet with us as your word is read and preached. Uh, might those truths settle deep in our hearts and help us to uh, respond uh, to you. Help us to be attentive to your still small voice this morning. Meet with us, challenge us, encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have the freedom to uh, meet and fellowship together. We don't take that freedom for granted, and we give you thanks for the opportunity we have uh, to come together this morning. Father, we give you thanks, too, that we have freedom to access your throne of grace. And it is through the death of your Son that uh, we can come and pray all manner of prayers before you. So, Father, we commit our lives to you and we commit uh, the prayers we raise uh, to you. Father, we pray for uh, those of our congregation who've left to study away. We commit them to you. We know how foundational uh, those years of uh, further study away from home can be. And we pray for your hand of protection upon those children who have gone, who have a faith in you, that you would hold them firm and give them the confidence to uh, declare the gospel for your glory. Father, we thank you for blessing Matt and Rosie with uh, a new son. We commit them to you as a young family, that you would bless them. We pray too for others who are expecting children and the anticipation and the concern, we commit them to you. We pray for a safe delivery. Father, we pray for Bethan and Tenebu. We ask your hand of blessing upon them. We commit um, all their endeavors uh, with the clinic to you. Um, we pray, pray for the ongoing administration and the commissioning of that work, and we ask your hand of blessing upon them. We thank you for the foundation that uh, Bethan found here in her early years of faith, and we thank you for uh, the signal she has been uh, to your goodness, and we ask your blessing upon her in Tenebu. Father, we pray, uh, continue to pray further afield. We ask your blessing upon all those who suffer uh, presently in Pakistan and the uh, terrible tragedies of uh, severe flood. We commit those agencies to you, give them wisdom, 
and clear governance as they seek to bring aid to all those who suffer. Father, we do pray for uh, those issues that um, stem from climate change, and we pray for those uh, in government and across your creation uh, to give wisdom in the governance of the creation you have given us. Father, we pray for the continuing uh, challenges in Ukraine and uh, the war and unrest. And Father, we ask for your hand of blessing upon all those from Ukraine who uh, seek uh, rescue and safety here, but also elsewhere across uh, Europe. We commit them to you and we pray for their um, safety and for their security here. For all those who are either returning or remain, we commit them to you. We thank you for the great work of um, their leader in government, and we commit him to you and his wife and all those who help him lead. We pray for your blessing. We pray, too, for the Russian people and for uh, their leader, that you would work in his heart, uh, break him, we pray, and show him the error of his ways. Father, we commit our own nation to you. Uh, We pray for the unrest in uh, Leicester in the last couple of days, for uh, divided communities. We pray for wisdom uh, for those in governance and policing uh, in uh, those troubled districts. We uh, pray for improvement in relations. And Father, finally, we do pray for our nation. We pray for the royal family who have been uh, very much in the media's eyes. We pray that uh, you would bless them. And we pray for all those uh, world leaders who gather with others tomorrow, uh, that they would clearly hear of the faith um, of the Queen and the basis of that faith, and may it be impactful. We thank you for the clarity of her faith throughout her life. So, Father, we... Pray finally for Colin. We ask your hand of blessing upon him as he uh, shares your uh, word to us. Uh, We commit him to you, and we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The reading this morning is from 1 John, chapter 1, through to the first two verses of chapter 2. If you have the church Bible, it's on page 1225. The incarnation of the word of life, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, 
purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you, Jane. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's Word together. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the Apostle uh, John opens the letter of 1 John uh, by making claims of Jesus that some of his listeners just find unbelievable. As when it comes to unbelievable truths, people want to see evidence. They want proof. One unbelievable record in, in recent events is the sad news of the retirement of one man, Roger Federer. At 41, Roger is retiring after reaching huge milestones along the way. He won 20 Grand Slam titles. He claimed 103 titles or trophies. He won 1,251 singles matches and he, he was at number one for 310 weeks, 237 of those being consecutive. He is a living legend in tennis. If his, if his feats of accomplishment hadn't been witnessed by people and then written down in the record books, very few people would believe that he existed. Very few people would believe that he achieved what he achieved. Because it's the eyewitness accounts that testify to the truth of what actually happened as they made a record of that. And this is really the Apostle John's point here in his letter, that, that the incarnation is true. It's true because of the facts of the incarnation. And that in light of that, he, he wants us to understand how we should live in light of the truth of the incarnation. Because the truth of it, it should change us. It should change us both as individuals, but also as a people. It should really uh, transform us as we see that, that believing in the incarnation transforms us. It transforms us to experience the three aspects. It trans transforms us to experience true fellowship, faithful fellowship, and lastly, a forgiving fellowship. So firstly, true fellowship. John, who is considered to be the apostle who wrote the gospel of John, 
It writes his letter here in around 85 to 90 AD to churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. He's writing into a context where some people, well, they're denying that Jesus came in the flesh. They are false teachers who are trying to spread the idea that Jesus, he wasn't actually a man, but he was just a ghost, that he was some kind of spirit. And many people are considering joining this group of false teachers. Or so, as John would say, they are considering fellowship with these people. But the Apostle John wants to underline what Jesus really did. And that he really was a human being. That he came in the flesh. As he says from verse 1 to 2, he says this. That which we... That that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John, as he says in his gospel, says that Jesus is the eternal word of God. That Jesus really is fully divine. That he is fully God. But he also wants to prove to us here that Jesus is also fully man. As he says, as he speaks to to his listeners, he wants to say to them, Uh, He and others are witnesses. They're witnesses because they have heard him. They have seen him and looked upon him. And their eyes have, uh, and their hands have touched him. As Jesus is both totally God and totally man. That Jesus came in the flesh and was actually a real person, a fully human person. Like you, like you and I. In other parts of the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, Luke tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus presented himself to many people over 40 days, proving that he was alive and had raised from the dead. Then in 1 Corinthians, in in chapter 15, Paul talks about uh, the fact that 500 people saw Jesus physically, proving not only just his humanity, but also that he bodily raised from the dead. That he wasn't just raised spiritually, but physically. Over and over again, we see Jesus really was human. That he really was both fully divine and fully human. Even the the non-Christian historian, Flavius Josephus, he 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 wrote about Jesus in the Antiquities. In old ancient scriptures, which are, which are not biblical text. Flavius Josephus, he said that Jesus was, he was a wise man and a doer of wonderful works, that he was condemned to die by Pilate, but appeared alive again on the third day. And many who call themselves Christians are still going forth today. Historians prove that Jesus was a man. And John says that many eyewitnesses, including himself and others, have seen him and touched him in the flesh. And so to say that Jesus didn't really exist or that he looked like a man but wasn't actually a man would be to make a false claim. 
Perhaps maybe even though as believers, we might struggle to wrap our minds around that concept, to be able to comprehend it. Maybe we can accept, we can accept that Jesus is God, but to really believe that he is also a human being like you and I, it can at times be hard to believe. But as we, as you read through the gospels, you see that, well, Jesus, he got hungry. He grew in wisdom and knowledge, and he even became tired at points like you and I do. To understand that, to understand that really Jesus is human, helps us to understand that he knows what it's like to live like us, to live in a broken world like we do, to struggle, to suffer, to grow tired and weary in a very difficult life. Jesus knows He knows us because he became like us. And it's through Jesus, it's through what he, who he is, that we have fellowship with God. As John says in verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John tells us why he's sharing this truth. Why does it matter? He's saying it matters that we would have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God, our Heavenly Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus that we can enjoy fellowship with one another and with the Lord. As John says, he writes us to make our or your joy complete as true fellowship is based on the true Jesus. It means that whilst we might have fraternals or clubs or other things we're involved in, the golf club or the scouts or whatever it might be, those are good affiliations. But true fellowship is really only found through the God-man, Jesus Christ. That he who is infinite in power, in majesty, in glory, in justice, in goodness, in love. He who is worshipped by all the seraphim and angels throughout all eternity. He is the one who steps down into our darkness, into the sin-sick world in which we live. That he would come for the likes of you and I. That Jesus would step into our mess. The king of glory would come into our lives. Our lives when we naturally reject him. But he would come in to save us. To bring us into fellowship with him and with other people. That we would know the eternal God through Jesus Christ. And that as we experience that living relationship with our heavenly father then we would be brought into a new and living relationship with his people, the church. By being brought into this glorious light of God, I would be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus, that you and I would be able to proclaim the good news that we enjoy a fellowship. We enjoy a fellowship with our heavenly father and with his people. As we enjoy true fellowship with God and others. And therefore, we live out a faithful fellowship. 
Having explained how uh, we enjoy fellowship with God and others, John then goes on to explain the what. What does faithful fellowship look like? Both with God and with others. When we think about faithfulness, the one person who certainly pops into mind in these days must be Her Majesty the Queen. She was very well known for her faithfulness, her faithful service over many years, and the foundation of which was her Christian faith. She quoted in her 2015 speech from the Gospel of John, saying the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And immediately after that, she quoted an old saying, which said it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. It's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Meaning that we must take active steps for the good rather than simply complain about the bad. That we should step forward into the light. And the theme of darkness and light comes up again in 1 John. As John says in verse 5 that God is light. And then in verse 6 he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John's words do call us to self-examination. He's saying if if we claim to be a believer but our lives don't match it, then we don't belong to him. Because the message we share must reflect the message that we live. Our lips and our lives must match. It means that if I claim to be a Christian, but see no problem in getting drunk with other people, I deny the faith that I say I hold. It means if I tear into my colleagues at work with my words, I deny my faith. It means if I'm pursuing a sexual relationship with someone I'm not married to, my life denies my savior. John's point is to say, if I live my life, my way on my terms and my word, then God's word doesn't apply. And we deny the truth that we say we believe. It is a warning to each of us. It's a warning of self-examination to each of us that we would be sober-minded and alert. We can't say we live in the light and yet walk in the dark. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we belong to Jesus, then we won't want to walk in the dark anymore, will we? Why not? Because Jesus has cleansed us of all our sin. To our very bones. He has purified us from all of our sins through his death on the cross. That he has taken our punishment upon himself. That we would receive forgiveness. He has purified us from all of our sin. Both the past, the present and the future. 
the eternal God man, Jesus Christ, has washed you clean. You are cleansed, holy, pure before the Lord. And if you grasp that, if you believe that truth, not just in your head, but in your heart, if you delight in that truth, then you will walk in the light. You will walk in the light. To walk in God's ways is to walk with God's people. As walking in the light is displayed by fellowship with other people, with other believers. Personally speaking, this week has been a bit of a car crash course or a truly car crash course on how not to have a pastoral conversation about church attendance. It's been a painful process, mainly for the other people, but certainly for me as well. I have a lot to learn on that. And no doubt we all have stresses and strains and struggles and illnesses and activities that pull us left and right and up and down throughout the week. And yet at the same time, as those who walk in the light, as much as it's physically possible, surely we long to be with God's people, to worship with God's people each Sunday. Surely as we are battered and bombarded by the lies of the world, the lies of the devil, the lies in our own hearts throughout the week, surely we long to be with God's people on the Lord's day. Surely we must long for more of God in our lives. To not be satisfied with what we have, but delight and worship with what the Lord holds out to us. That we have the privilege to meet and to worship with his people. In light of all that the Lord has done for us, the true, the one true response must be to worship him. To worship him with his people. As again, John gives warnings to not be self-deceived, both in verse 8 and verse 10. As he claims, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In the context, some people were saying that they had reached a level of sinless perfection, that they had no sin at all. And others were saying that they weren't sinful, that they, are, they were more good than bad, that they weren't all that bad. But as John says, if we deny our need of a savior from our sin, then we deny the one who died for our sins. I'm sure if you were to ask someone on the street, if they, if they thought they were perfect, I'm sure they would say, well, nobody's perfect. But then if you were to ask them, uh, well, do you think you're a good person? How might they answer that? How might you answer that? If you say, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person, I've probably done more good than bad, then we deny the truth of what Jesus has done. We call God a liar because we're saying Jesus died on the cross for nothing, for no reason. But if we admit our sins, if we admit our sins, then God will forgive us. As John says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
It's only when we hold up our hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I have nothing. I have nothing to give you. The only thing I bring you is my dark thoughts, my twisted desires, my anxious heart, my sufferings, my brokenness, and my sin. It's only at that point that we can receive his mercy afresh. As God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As he takes our sins away, he takes them all away and throws them into the sea of his forgiveness. All we can do in response is worship him. To worship him because we are forgiven. As the truth of the incarnation just transforms us into a forgiving fellowship. John encourages his listeners of the letter in the first two verses of chapter 2 by saying this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The purpose of of John's letter is to lovingly encourage his listeners. He's clearly rebuking false teachers at the start, but he is also encouraging those who are following the truth to tell them just how much the Lord loves them and how much he has done for them in the past and is still doing for them today. As if we truly understand the forgiveness of God in our lives, then it will transform us. It will transform us. As we experience the love of God and the forgiveness of God, it will overflow into the lives of others. It will overflow. If we truly believe this, not just in our heads academically, but in our hearts, that it would reach our affections, then we won't have to hide anymore from God or from one another. We can be honest. We can be honest with actually how we feel as God transforms us by his grace. It means we don't need to to mask who we are anymore. We don't need to put on the mask of the brave face to say everything's okay when it's not. It means we can be honest and say, you know, I am actually struggling right now. It means if we're feeling overwhelmed with life, we can ask for help. If we truly understand the depth of the grace of God, the walls of defensiveness will be dismantled. And instead, bridges of true, sincere, honest Christian fellowship will be built. Built on the foundation of the love of God and his grace expressed to us in Jesus. As John goes on to tell us that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. As he says in Hebrews, Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Because, and and this is a truly mind-blowing truth, that Jesus was and still is totally God and totally man. Interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He is still 
100% God and 100% man today. It means that right now in heaven, Jesus is interceding for you as our great high priest. It means perhaps if your, if your prayer life, if it feels like dry bones at times, then then, even then, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for, he's praying for all those people in the world who will trust in him. As it says, uh, for all those in the world, as Jesus has atoned for, has made atonement for, uh, for, is sufficient for all and applied to everyone who will believe in him. It means therefore, who am I to, to hold a grudge against someone else? If all my sins have truly been wiped away, how can I possibly point the finger at others? How can I keep a record of wrongs? When love does not keep a record of wrongs. How can I hold back forgiveness towards someone, especially if they're a fellow believer, if all my sins have been atoned for in full? All because of the God-man, Jesus Christ. That through trusting in him, I can have an intimate relationship with my heavenly father and draw close to him. I can enjoy those times in the word. I can enjoy those times in prayer with the Lord. Because we cannot sin our way out of his loving embrace. And so let us draw near to our heavenly father that we would enjoy the privileges that we have as his children. That like the return of the prodigal son, our father runs to us, embraces us, and has a party with everyone else to celebrate the fact that his son who was lost has now been brought into the house and has been found. That we can enjoy that with one another. But let me ask you, have you come home to Jesus yet? Have you come home to Jesus in your life yet? Are you trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Because if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive all your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. So won't you come to Jesus this morning perhaps you you do know him might the truth of the incarnation transform your life that as you believe it in your heart that you would live in the light as God is light and that we would enjoy that fellowship with our heavenly father and with one another Let me leave you with this question. How might you know more of the joy of fellowship in your own life? What does that look like for you? Let me pray as we close. Father God, we thank you for the truth of the incarnation. We thank you that you sent your son from heaven to earth in the flesh to pay for our sins in full 
that we might be able to be drawn into an intimate relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to live lives which reflect that, which are faithful to you in how we live individually and as a fellowship. Help us, Lord, to live in light of your amazing grace, of your true and full forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in your good name. Amen. Let me pray as we close together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth that when we come to you, that you will forgive us, that we can be part of your people and come into the presence of the living God. We pray that you would help us to live out that reality today and the rest of this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.